0: I think all of us know that anger has many forms. I dare say every one of us, anyone within hearing my voice, would know that anger wears many masks and many faces. Anger is so interwoven with every aspect of our lives. Anger is that emotion that rages from a slight irritation to sheer, blown-out, uncontrollable rage. And I believe it is very significant that the Lord Jesus Christ, after delineating his outline of his message, of his Sermon on the Mount, he goes down to select six different principles in which he deals with, and anger is on top of that list. In choosing these six principles, the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to know that the law of God is not a mechanical set of rules. The Lord Jesus Christ wants us to know that the law of God is not mere cold, calculated set of orders. But that the law of God was given to us so that we may know what kind of character does God want of us to be. So that we may know what kind of a character does God require. Jesus the preacher par excellence. All that seminaries and the teachers of preaching try to imitate him very poorly, I must say. Here he, first of all, gives you the sermon outline, and then he goes into applying it to everyday living for you and for me, for every one of us. After giving us a doctrinal statement, all the all-important manifesto, the master's manifesto, the Beatitudes, then he goes in. To tell you how that works in everyday life. So the area of applications he chooses. Anger. Proper sexual conduct. Marriage and divorce. Communication and relationships. Giving and stewardship. Living a worry and anxiety free life. And we are going to look at those in the next several messages one by one. But Jesus began those six principles... Those six areas of application with murder. You say, why would he begin with murder? Simply because murder was the very first sin that was committed in the scripture. When Cain killed his brother Abel, he was the first one to commit murder. And it's the first sin next to the disobedience of his parents. And Jesus begins with that because anger is the first step that leads to murder. Jesus begins there because he likes to deal with the root causes of our sin rather than the surface. God said in Genesis 9, 6, that when man sheds the blood of another who is created in the image of God, his blood must be shed. And in Exodus 20, 13, when God said, you shall not murder, he was referring to criminal killing by an individual, not The capital punishment by the authorities whom God set in place in order to administer his justice. And this commandment is against the intentional killing of another human being for purely personal reasons. This commandment is a condemnation of murder that stems from personal anger. I reflected on this and I thought of Jesus' first hearers. Those who were hearing him on that Mount of Beatitude, most likely all of them, if not most of them, have never killed anybody. And therefore they were smug and snug about this feeling that, hey, I didn't kill anyone when Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not kill. He's not talking about me, he's talking about somebody else out here. He needs to go to the prison and preach that, not here. But what Jesus is saying to them was this. Let me explain to you God's original intention with this commandment. He is saying, let me fill in the blanks so you understand what he meant by this commandment. And what he meant is this. Because anger is that ghost that is always lurking in the dark behind every murder. God is concerned with that as well as he's concerned with the very act of murder itself. I want to summarize to you the passage for today from Matthew 5, 21 to 26. Three things that Jesus is basically saying here. First, verses 21 and 22, Jesus is saying that anger destroys. Secondly, in verses 23 and 24, Jesus is saying that anger desecrates worship. Thirdly, in verses 25 and 26, Jesus is saying that anger Devastates relationships. First of all, he's telling us that anger destroys. Verses 21 and 22. You have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be guilty. Listen carefully please to what I'm going to tell you. Because this is important. I'm touching every life here today, including the preacher. Just in case you think that I'm preaching to you. There are two words in Greek, and they're both translated in English, anger. Thermos is a word that describes anger that flares and then dies down. It's like putting a match to dry straw, and then the fire immediately dies down. It's a kind of anger that blazes up and quickly dies down. Then there is a second word in Greek, the word orgay. The word orge refers to anger that is smoldering below the surface. Orge is the anger that is cradled and kept warm. Anger that keeps brooding and stewing beneath the surface. The anger that you will not allow for it to die. And that is the word that's used here in this text. So when Jesus was saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's saying this. Let me tell you about my father's intention with this commandment. Let me tell you about my daddy's truth about this commandment, about this matter And this is what really God intended by it, not how the rabbinic interpretation told you it means. Anger has deeper roots than just the physical killing. Anger begins because murder begins at the heart, not at the hand. Murder starts with an angry thought. Murder starts with selfish and prideful motive. What is Jesus saying here to these Legalistic Pharisees. He is saying righteousness is not only external. He is saying righteousness is not only above the surface. He is saying righteousness is not only when people are looking. He said a person is guilty of murder when he or she nurses his or her anger. When he or she, with intense hatred hate another, when he or she malign another out of anger. In fact, Jesus is saying more than this. He is saying that when murder is judged in the courts of the earth, anger is judged in the courts of heaven. Which court would you rather face? Jesus is saying that because that smoldering anger can lead to murder. I take that very seriously. Unless you stop anger dead in its track, it will lead to murder. Unless you pull anger out of your life, pull it out by its root, it's going to grow and be a big tree of murder. But you know, our society today takes crimes out of very lightly. We defend the criminals and forget about the victims. Unheard of in the rest of the world. In fact, I read about the 1931 where the notorious mass killer who was nicknamed Two-Gun Crawley. When he was captured, the police found a note in his girlfriend's apartment where he wrote her before he died. And the note says... Under my coat is a weary heart, but a good one. You know, today, we have so many people trying to exonerate criminals by saying that deep down they are good. I want to say, how deep? (laughs) Today, convicted criminals are running around saying, sure, they have done some bad things, but they are really not bad. (laughs) Today, a person can commit two crimes and then stand there, compares himself with a person who committed ten crimes and we said, well, see, I'm not as bad as him. Remind me of the Lord Jesus when he said about the Pharisees and the publicans and both came to the temple. One began to brag and compare himself with the publican. the publican just said, oh, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, the repentant sinner went home justified. We have a nation of Pharisees Today, social scientists tell us that anger leads to hatred, and hatred leads to murder. Anger and hatred are so deadly that they destroy the person who harbors them. Not only that they destroy him physically, they destroy personhoods. Look at verse 22. Being angry with another person, saying raka to him. Now, calling him a fool is very serious in God's eyes. Now the word raka, by the way, is just untranslatable. It cannot be translated. That's why most of your Bible translators just left it the way it is. <laughs> they call him raka and say, well, what does that mean? Basically is this. There's no equivalent word for it in English. It means that person who's out of anger becomes verbally abusive. It means that person who's out of anger... Treats another person with contempt. I wonder how many of you know that you can treat somebody with contempt without even opening your mouth. Without saying a word. <laughs> the other day I heard about a minister who got hooked on playing golf. But this minister got so good at it that he began to play in tournaments. In one of those tournaments when he, his turn came to tee off at the opening round. He confidently took the golf ball and placed it. On the tee, and he got his club into position and began to swing. While at that very crucial moment, his caddy sneezed. <laughs> well, the pastor became totally distracted and he topped the ball miserably and, and it dribbled kind of a few feet from the tee. And he basically clinched his hand and he clinched his fist and, and he bit on his lip and, and he glared at this embarrassed caddy and said nothing. Whereupon his opponent said to him, he said, Reverend, that is the most profane silence that I've ever heard. <laughs> and Jesus is saying that to call a brother or a sister in Christ a rocker or a fool. Or to be verbally abusive of those who are created in God's own image. Is treated as murder in the courts of heaven. Anger destroys, but secondly, anger desecrates worship verses 23 and 24. Jesus is telling us that selfish anger strains your relationship with the Lord. I want to stop here just for a minute and tell you there is a form of anger in the scripture that is not a sin. Not all anger impairs your relationship with the Lord. Righteous anger is not a sin. Anger against injustice and rebellion against God's moral laws is not a sin. In some cases, anger is a normal emotional expression of the man of God or the woman of God. Jesus became angry when he saw these money-grabbing merchants making a mess of his dad's house. So what did he do? He was filled with righteous indignation. How many of you know that Jesus didn't go up to them and said, Now, fellas... I don't want to hurt your feelings now, uh, but what you're doing is really not good. How many of you agree that what Jesus said to them was not, uh, well, I don't want you to reject me now because, you know, I don't want to handle rejection. I don't want to offend you in any way, but uh, I still want to be your friend. But what I want to... No, he didn't say that. He got holy anger and he kicked him out of there. And it's okay to have holy anger But, once you let that anger cause you to sin, it gets out of hand. You can be angry at the apostate church, and you have the right to break fellowship with that church. But you and I are not at liberty to hate the individuals who are involved or to wish them ill will. You can be angry at the immorality among the political leaders... But you and I are not at liberty to take matters into our own hands. You and I can be angry at the injustice and the inequity, especially on the part of those who sit in the courts and they're supposed to administer justice. But we are not to hate the individuals. For here's what Jesus is saying. What will hinder true worship is the presence of that internal sin Of anger, that smoldering, that warm, that nursed anger from however long in the past. Jesus is saying that reconciliation must take place before you could receive the blessings from the hand of God that normally would come when we come at a corporate worship in the presence of God. That all the promises that God has for us as a body when we gather together, you will not receive that blessing until you have dealt with that person. You know, all the Jews at Jesus' time knew that they could take care of all of their sins by walking through from the outer court into the inner court, right at the rail, and hand the priest the sacrifice. That's supposed to repair the relationship between them and God. This sacrifice was intended to restore the relationship between them and God. But what God the Son is saying is this He is telling them and He's telling us that we need to settle the breach between us and our brother before we can settle the breach between us and our God. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage, simply. If you are sitting here today and you are carrying one of those smoldering grudges, If you're sitting here today and you're nursing some anger from the past and every time the name of that person that you're angry with is mentioned, your heart will pound and and you become really angry. If you are sitting here today and keeping some anger warm in your heart, I want to tell you and I want to testify to you that You can't get rid of it by better music. You can't get rid of it by better sermons. You can't get rid of it by receiving communion. You can't get rid of it by giving to the Lord. You can't get rid of it, period. The only way you can get rid of that persistent anger is by expressing it to the individual concerned and ask for their forgiveness and move on. Move on. I want to clarify something here. Nowhere in the scripture do I read... That your brother has to agree with you or you have to agree with your brother. I don't read it anywhere in the scripture. We don't have to agree with one another. In fact, I don't read anywhere that we are under obligation that we become cheek by jowl with every Christian. I don't read it in the scripture. To my knowledge, Paul and Barnabas never got together into one missionary journey after the rupture they had in the relationship in Acts 15. But I am convinced with all of my heart. That they have forgiven one another and that they loved one another and that they prayed for one another even though they were disagreed with one another. So the question is not agreeing and don't confuse agreement with the absolute necessity of disposing of the sin of anger. The psalmist said in sixty six eighteen, he said, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Anger destroys. Anger desecrates worship. Anger devastates relationships. Look at verse 25 and 26. Jesus said, Make friends with your opponent while you are on your way to the court. You say, oh, wait a minute. How are the two people go into court together. They didn't have the multi million dollar lawyers and have them in their limousines going in the different sides of the court. In the ancient times, the plaintiff can arrest the defendant. But that was legal at that time. Please hear me right. I believe what Jesus is saying here is this. That the time of reconciliation, just like the time of salvation, it is now. Tomorrow could be too late. We are not to allow bitterness or anger or hatred or any other sin To destroy our relationship, because what it's doing is not only destroying the relationship, it's destroying us in the process. I want to give you an illustration. Hopefully we'll make this point. It's a story that has taken place a long time ago. A young man from a wealthy family was about to graduate from high school. The custom in that affluent neighborhood was to bestow a car once a student graduated from high school. Those of you with children, you understand how long ago that was. Because now they can't even wait to get to 15 to want a car before they get their license. And the boy fully expected that the norm in that neighborhood would hold true for him as well. And he spent months, as only teenagers can do, he spent months talking about cars and looking at cars. Go with his father looking at this car and at that car. And finally, just a week before graduation... The father and the son agreed on the type of car they're going to get. It was just the perfect car as far as the boy was concerned. And the young man was absolutely certain that on the day of his graduation, that car was going to be in the driveway. So on a graduation morning, he came down and his father handed him a packet. And when the boy opened that packet he found a bible he became enraged he became angered he smashed the bible down to the ground he stormed out of the house and his anger and bitterness smoldered for years He would not be reconciled to his father. And he remained strange from his father until the day his father died. After the funeral, the son went back to the father's house and he was looking through the belongings. And he came across that Bible that the father had given him several years ago. He brushed off the dust and then he began to open the pages of the scripture. And there, to his utter horror, he found the cashier check between the pages of the scripture. That check was dated the day of graduation for the exact amount of money that we're going to spend on that particular car. Anger and bitterness destroyed that boy's relationship with his father. Let me get personal with you just for a moment. Husbands, wives, wherever you may be, if you are angry with one another, resolve your anger. Parents and children, if you are angry with one another, nothing is going to enhance your worship, nothing is going to enhance your reconciliation with your heavenly father until you have reconciled with one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ, leave this worship place if you have to, to be reconciled with one another and then come back and experience the joy of worship. My family would testify to you of how we make a practice of never let the sun go down on our anger. I am personally convinced in my own heart that if you dig deep in the myriads of marital problems, among Christians particularly, you will discover that anger lies at the root. And anger is shown in bitterness, it is shown in resentment, it is shown in hatred. And again, I believe that with every fiber of my being. That if the roots are dealt with biblically, please hear me right, if they are dealt with biblically, divorce among Christians would not be as rampant as it is today. You will not solve any problem by excusing or justifying anger. Being Irish, Italian, Mediterranean, I've used all that, didn't work. There's no excuse for it. Anger is one of the most common sins that is defeating Christians today. And we must pluck it out by its roots and let the Holy Spirit fill the vacant space. Then practice. Of not holding anger every day, even for a 24-hour period. Here's a test. You say, well, I dealt with that long time ago. If the name of that person that you're angry with is mentioned, how do you feel? Unless you're able to say, God bless this person, you're still angry. You haven't dealt with it honestly between you and the Lord. And I've shared with you from this pulpit many examples in my own life of how years ago God has taught me the destruction of anger and how I had to deal with it. I'm going to tell you right now, it was not easy. (laughs) it never easy. But once you've done it, it will become easier to do it every day. This is a holy moment. It's a moment of decision. If the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, I beg you, I plead with you. Take it and pluck it. Leave it at the feet of Christ. He will take it and he will replace it with love, joy, and peace. The word of God said it, therefore it is truth. But I stand in humility before God because he knows my heart. And I confess to you that once you have dealt with that, honestly, sincerely, Below the surface, you will experience freedom like you've never experienced before. Pluck it out before God now. And then in the privacy of your own thoughts, as I say those words, you fill in the blanks, not loud voice, please, just between you and the Lord. You fill that name that's made you angry in the past. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless And that you will fill me with your spirit. Let your spirit fill the vacant place where the roots of anger has been plucked out. For you alone can do that. Because we worship a mighty God. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.